Hello everyone, this is Todd Golden, sports editor and Indiana State beat writer for the Terre Haute Tribune Star. Welcome to the Down in the Valley podcast. This is the inaugural episode of what I hope will become part of your weekly fix when it comes to all things ISU Athletics and the Missouri Valley Conference. Episode 1 is being recorded in the wee hours on October 16th, 2019. The location the luxurious Todd Golden Studios, otherwise known as my basement, right smack in the middle of Terre Haute. So why am I doing a podcast? A better question is why have I waited until now? I've been chomping at the bit to do a podcast for a long time. I haven't to this point, and the reasons really are entirely my fault. One is that I'm a bit of an obsessive and a little bit of a perfectionist. And I wanted to make sure I got every last detail right. If we were going to do a podcast, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that this wasn't just something fly by the seat of the pants, uh, something that sounded professional, even though I'm not a professional uh, radio person or anything like that. So I wanted the right equipment, the right technology. And I, I have looked for a while for a partner to do this podcast with because I think the best podcasts are the ones where you have two people that are running their opinions off of each other, who have a good uh, working relationship, who uh, can kind of riff off of one another. And uh, and I, I think those are the best podcasts. I don't have that yet. And finally, I decided that, you know, you can waste hours, days, weeks, and years trying to get everything right uh, to get a project off the ground. But then if you wait too long, you just you eventually lose the forest for the trees and why you'd want to do a podcast in the first place. So I've elected to just get on with it, and we will work our way into some of the bells and whistles that I eventually want to have with this podcast uh, once it gets to the uh, place I want it to be. Um, Another reason uh, that I waited is that I'm in that in-between generation, I guess Generation X, if you want to call it that. I kind of dislike that term, but... um, where I'm young enough to know that these podcasts are extremely important to what we do. We can't just be traditional print journalists anymore like I used to be. Uh, we have to accept all of the new forms of technology that you know, disseminate information to all of you fans and readers who, who want to have it. So I understand that, but I'm also old enough to be intimidated by all this technology as well. So in other words, I'm kind of a chicken. You know, I, I I wanted it, been wanting to do this for a long time, and I was, you know, a little, little intimidated by uh, all of that it takes, and really, all it really takes is just a recording device, which is what I'm using right now. Finally, I'm a writer, and writers are, I've always thought, best read, not heard, and Lord knows, in my case, not seen. Fortunately, you don't have to see me for this, but you do have to hear me. So I had to get over myself and kind of break into a new medium. Um, even though I've done regular, you know, radio hits over the years, I do the halftime um, show uh, for ISU football and have for a few years now. So it's not as if I'm not used to talking, uh, you know, as if I'm on the radio. I've done it, but it's still a little bit of a mountain to climb for me to, to you know, get over the fact that, uh, you know, have to uh it's not like talking to somebody at the stadium i need to be on so hopefully that's being conveyed probably not i'm probably gonna be pretty bad at this at first but hopefully i'll get better at it um understand that you know like i said i i don't have all the bells and whistles yet i eventually want to have so this podcast 
be patient with it because it's very much a work in progress. Um, eventually, I hope to have intro music, um, interview audio edited in, and uh, and again, I hope to have a partner to work with. I'm hoping to have something certainly in place by the time the Valley portion of uh, the basketball season starts. So we'll see. We'll work with it. We'll see how popular this is and, um, you know, see what we want to throw at it. Um, so as for the format of the podcast, we're going to shake it up week by week, but generally it's going to kind of follow the way my Down in the Valley blog works on uh, TripStar.com. Uh, it'll generally be a review of the game or games that occurred in that week. And we'll also hit the highlights of, uh, you know, anything else that's going on in Indiana State Athletics at the time. And as I get used to doing this, you know, I'll probably get weird. I'll, I'll be a little bit more freeform, a little bit more relaxed and, uh, you know, kind of break into the non-sequitarian kind of person that I am that kind of shows up in my up in my writing sometimes. You know, I'll be opinionated. Um, I'm not going to hold back uh, when I feel like something is good or bad, just like my writing. So... Uh, hopefully, you know, this is basically an audio version um, of what I write in the uh, on TribStar.com and in the Tribune Star daily version uh, as a matter of course. So hopefully you like it. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's very much a work in progress. Uh, you know, I will learn to talk better. <laughs> but uh, so let's get started. So for this week, this is a great perfect week to start a podcast um, because there is a lot to unpack in terms of what happened in the world of ISU athletics over the last week. And the first thing I want to start with, typically I'd probably start with a game, but um, I think the big news for ISU fans is the uh, the Sycamore Sports Vision project that was announced uh, last Thursday. And um, let's go over the, the the basics of it first. If you, if you don't know, um, the ISU Athletic Department, along with HKS Architects and uh, President Deborah Curtis, had a, a luncheon where they introduced to the public uh, their vision for what they want Indiana sports, uh, their venues uh, that they planned to, to build in the next, uh, they didn't li- have a time frame, but what vision they want to get across as far as what they want to accomplish with athletic venues. So. The first thing you should know is that it basically they want to create what they call a Sycamore Sports District uh, that basically aligns along First Street. Um, right now, you have, of course, Bob Warren Field, which sits up at First and Locust on the north, far north end of what this project would be. Uh, you have the Gibson Track and Field Stadium, which is right now dead center in the middle of uh, where this project would, uh, would orient. Um, it's at First and Chestnut. Uh, you have the ISU Athletic Annex, which is an old um, building that they repurpose for athletics, which is just south of the track and field stadium. And you have ISU-owned land in most of the areas between uh, the current campus, which basically ends at about 3rd Street, and the river. So they don't own all of the land, but they own, they own all of the land they need to do these projects that they introduced last Thursday. So... They announced uh, basically three different things, although there were four iterations or two iterations of, of what they want to do for football. So up by current Bob Warren Field, they 
introduced a proposal to build a new softball stadium on what would well, what is now the the corner um, of Third and Locust, which uh, currently is is vacant. There's some trees there. There's a kind of a disused practice field south of the current uh, ISU uh, baseball clubhouse. And that's where they want the new softball field to go because I think they want Price Field is is hemmed in, of course, uh, by Third Street, Fourth Street, and the railroad tracks. And uh, there's just not a whole lot of room to do anything there. And it's in some valuable property as far as what the university might want to, you know, might want to add some more parking, which they badly need, or anything like that. So, and the facilities at Price Field, although they're better than they used to be, are still, you know, pretty basic. So. Um, so the idea is to then expand the ISU, cl- the current clubhouse, to make it into kind of a shared facility uh, where you'd have a softball locker room, expand the baseball clubhouse a bit, and create an open concept where this you know, this building would, you could look out onto the softball field, you could look out onto the baseball field, and it would create kind of a singular meeting space between the two fields. Nothing would be torn down in the current Bob Warren field, but it would kind of be integrated into the uh, new softball field. So that's one part of this, and that would, of course, be up in the northern end of this First Street um, sports district. Uh, the second part of it, and, and there's no prior. I don't want to give the impression there's a there's a order of priority on when these are built. I think they'd be built when they get the money to build them, but Another aspect of it is on the other end of the First Street um, district, and that would be a new basketball practice facility for both men's and women's basketball. And it would be located at First and Cherry Street, which right now is uh, vacant. Um, Right as you, Cherry Street, if you don't know Terre Haute, uh, is old US 40, and it crosses the Wabash River just west of where they would build this building. And the idea would be you'd have two different courts for the men and women to use. There would be a weight room there. And it would also kind of be a um, open, kind of a a welcome mat for Lila. That's not the best way to put it, but uh, kind of the open door to the athletic district. Um, unfortunately, you're traveling out of town at that point. It'd be better if it was um, somehow over our, uh, where you're entering town. But be that as it may, um, that's the idea. And um, like I said, there'd be two basketball courts, and it would kind of flow into the rest of the district north of there along First Street. So that's one part of it. And then, as I said, there was two iterations of a football proposal put forth. Um, the first one, which would be a brand new stadium, and it was mentioned it was an 8,000-seat stadium, would be built on what is now a parking lot um, north on the north east corner of First and Chestnut. And uh, the university currently owns that land, and it would be a new stadium. There'd be They mentioned that there would be an open concept out onto Chestnut, and uh, the press box would face uh, east towards campus, would have a campus view. And it would probably be similar, if you're familiar with it, to the SIU stadium down in Carbondale, although their stadium's a little bit bigger than that uh, capacity-wise. So that was one proposal, but it was shared with a proposal to renovate Memorial Stadium. Um, And that was fascinating to me because I'd heard of those plans but hadn't seen the uh, details of it. 
And my assumption was always that they would, if they ever did renovate Memorial Stadium, that they would tear down the um, current bleachers on the um, south side of the stadium. But in this proposal, HKS said that they would knock down part of the current um, uh, grandstand at Memorial Stadium. The press box would be gone. Uh, they probably essentially cut it about maybe two-thirds up the way up the stands, maybe even a little lower than that. And um, the idea being um, to create more of a uh, of an open concept area where you could host things uh, between the Memorial Gate and what would be a, a smaller grandstand, so there'd be more of a welcome area. You could host events there, that kind of thing. Um, and then they would also build on the other side of the stadium, which has been vacant since the mid-90s when they tore down the old grandstand. Um, they would build a new small grandstand over there and a new press box. And there would also be a brand new football and, and women's soccer um, office north of there. It would curve around the current practice field. And then the, the blueprint um, suggested there be parking that would flow up towards Locust Street and out towards um, the other end of the park. So that was what was proposed. and um, But it wasn't just that. It was made very clear from the beginning of the uh, ceremony that uh, President Curtis and Director of Athletics Schwarz Klink Scales um, did the introduction to it, that this was not something that is going to be in any... Um, financial, it's not ready to go financially. Um, these They made it very clear that this is a dream. Sherrard uh, said at one point, this is the Cadillac version of what ISU would like to have. President Curtis um, said that there was uh, you know, no funding for this at this point. This is just something they're putting on paper, and they want people to know what they want to do, and uh, so it was it was basically basically a projection of a dream, and that was the words they used to describe this. So, you know, I I was there and I took in the ceremony and I had some thoughts, just as most ISU uh, fans who um, who are aware of it have. First, I want to focus on the positive of this um, because it's very easy to go to focus first on on some of the questions that could be construed as negative first. But let me say something positive, and that's this. Um, I've been covering Indiana State since I'm into my, this is my 16th season, which is hard to believe, but um, this is the really the first time, other than maybe the Holman Center project, that I've seen ISU's administration go on the record with the facilities that they want to build for athletics. And that alone is very important because now they can be held accountable for the vision that they put forth. Now, granted, they didn't put any vision of how they want to pay for any of this forward, at least not yet. However, you know, in the past when, when um, you know, university plans have been proposed, um, you know, kind of the long term, here's our campus plan. There's been several, a couple of those that have been produced since I've been around. And they would mention athletics, but they would never mention, they were very rarely specific. You know, I, I know there's been a football stadium that's popped up on these from time to time or popped off of them from time to time. Um, in my time in Terre Haute, there's been discussion of a football stadium right where they proposed it. 
as well as on the east end of campus. And so, but those were just, you know, they were they were never committed in the way that this was. I've never had a press conference called to say, here's the facilities we want to build. So I think that's a good thing. I know some people thought that I talked to thought it was, um, you know, just kind of a pie-in-the-sky dream that they put forward. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, for one thing. But secondly, um, you can now say, if these things don't happen, that this is the vision you wanted to get done. Why didn't you get it done? It's always good when an entity goes on the record about what they want to do, because then you can go on the record about what they did, if they get it accomplished, which would be wonderful. But if they don't, you could say, well, how come you didn't get this part of this done? So that was the positive thing that I took away from this, that, um, you know, finally, ISU, and I'm not talking about athletics, I'm talking about the upper administration, uh, has a vision for athletics, which is wonderful. That's it's long overdue. So that's the positive thing in this. As far as the facilities themselves, um, you know, I, I really, I'm, I'm no architectural expert. Um, the basketball facility, which has been, I, I have heard about the basketball facility being a part of this for quite a while. I, in fact, I think I've tweeted about it a couple times. Um, that's been in the works for quite a while, as has softball. Um, that's also been out there in terms of, you know, discussion among people who follow ISU. So those didn't surprise me. And neither did a football stadium, although, and I'll get to the football part of this in a minute, um, as far as the, the, the dual proposal part of this is concerned. But um, so those are some positives. Now, like many of you, I had questions about this. First of all, um, the they, they did this at the Magna Carta room at the Federal Hall, which is a beautiful building. It was the first time I'd ever been in there. And um, of course, I, it's appropriate they had it in that beautiful big room because the big elephant in that room is the fact that they never discussed how any of this is going to get paid for. And that's the main question that most people I talked to had, and certainly it's the question that I have. Um, this is a direct quote from Dr. Curtis. This is from my story that ran um, last Thursday after the event. Uh, quote, it's not a fundraising plan. There will be no dollars discussed. It's not a commitment to the details you'll see in this presentation because those are likely to evolve. What this is, is a big, bold dream, said Dr. Curtis last uh, Thursday. So anyway, I, I obviously defended the fact that they want to put a dream forth. However, it's, uh, you know, I don't know how great of an idea it is to put a dream forth and then tell everybody that, well, we'll tell you how we're going to figure out how to pay for this later. Now, later on, I talked to Dr. Curtis, and she said that what they want to do with this is to make it part of a larger um, fundraising campaign for the university overall. So this athletic vision would be folded into what would be a greater fundraising campaign. Well, you know, I've been around Indiana State for a long time, and very rarely has athletics been given the freedom to independently fundraise. And I'm not talking necessarily about the actual athletic department doing the fundraising. I'm talking about this notion that 
athletic donations are folded into a greater campaign is not new. This is something that Indiana State has invariably done for almost everything. And I think it's a mistake. Um, I think there are donors out there who can be identified who would love to donate, even in a small way, to some of these projects specifically. And while nobody told me that they can't do that, I don't know that it's the greatest strategy or PR to kind of get, send the message that, okay, you go ahead and give us our money and we'll figure out how to best use it. I've never agreed with that philosophy um, at ISU. I think it hurts them. I'm no fundraising expert, so I could be completely wrong about that. That's just my opinion. But I think when you don't allow people to say, to have an individual, let's say they wanted to have an individual campaign for the basketball facility. You know, they let Sherrard do something like Elevate or the 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 day of donation that the that they had last year, which was a wild success. If they let athletics or the ISU Foundation or whomever come out and say, ISU fans, put your money where your mouth is. We are raising money specifically for the ISU basketball facility. I would think that that would be more successful than folding it into a greater campaign. And that's just my opinion on it. So we'll see how it evolves. It's still early. And we still don't know how much this stuff costs. Now, that will probably require me to do, uh, you know, a Freedom of, of, of Information Act request of some sort to get the numbers on these. But I just don't know when you bring, and there were a lot of people, a lot of prominent people there, board of trustees members, donors were attending this event. And um, so why not let, you know, come out and say, this is our dream. Why don't you fund our dream? You know, simple as that. And ISU is never going to be, you know, like a Big Ten school where they can, uh, you know, put out a cash register and, you know, just build buildings uh, when they feel like it. It's not going to work like that at ISU. But I feel like this is an unnecessary roadblock to, um, you know, to what they want to get accomplished. So that was one part of my impression of it. Uh, The second part of it is... I thought it was confusing to have two different football proposals put forth. And to me, if you're going to launch um, a Sycamore Sports District or a Sycamore Sports Vision um, as part of a master plan, and you have all the facilities on First Street, to me, I go a whole hog in on the on the new camp on the new football stadium on campus. Um, you know, Memorial Stadium will always have great memories for ISU fans. I've been spending 16 seasons there now, so it'll, I'll always have fond memories of it. But I thought it was a little bit of a mixed message to people out there who are interested in these projects as to you know which one gets the higher priority. I asked Sherard Klingscales about that, and he didn't want to say. Probably can't say, is my guess. Um, talked to some people off the record and got some interesting information on why that was. Um, you know, both of them are basically a contingency plan, and there is nothing wrong with my initial thought was that there might have been some holdup on the land um, at, at, at where they want to build the, the new on-campus stadium. 
That's not true. ISU owns all the land. There's no brownfield worries or anything like that because, of course, that used to be industrial um, many years ago. So it's nothing like that. I think the idea is that, what I was told, is that um, Memorial Stadium does offer more of a footprint to work with. So ISU does not own Memorial Park, um, but they do lease it through, gosh, I think it's 2070 or something like that. Basically had a 99-year lease from when the football stadium was uh, converted from its old baseball configuration. So ISU has that land for a long time and can do on it what they want. So uh, that, I think, was part of the reason why there's some sentiment to stay out at Memorial Stadium. Um, <clears throat> on top of that, I, don't, I can't say for certain as far as what the costs would be one versus the other. Um, people told me that it's probably cheaper to renovate out at Memorial Stadium, but it's not significantly cheaper. When I looked at it on Thursday, I saw the plans that they want to do out at Memorial, or, you know, the plan they want to do at Memorial Stadium, and I didn't think it looked on paper anyway to look that much cheaper than just starting over and building an on-campus facility. So... But anyway, there's some sentiment that, you know, you have more space and you have more freedom to do what you want, whereas at the location where they build the, the new stadium, you are landlocked. ISU does not own the land that the bowling alley Imperial Lane sits on or the credit union, um, so they would not, unless they bought them out, they would not have access to that land. Um, so there are some disadvantages to uh, being hemmed in there. My opinion, I'd rather build a new stadium. It's not my money. But I feel like it fits better with the vision of what this whole sports project is about in the first place. The architects mentioned during the ceremony that they one of the visions they have is that, you know, they want to bring people to the campus as a whole. They want to make the campus more organic in terms of people going to, uh, you know, Holman Memorial Union and walking down to the stadium. The, the, one, the other disadvantage of all these facilities is there isn't going to be much parking for any of them. Um, but that's part of their vision. They want people to kind of flow from campus to the athletic facilities. And eventually, um, you know, as traditions get built up, uh, it will be, cons you know, it'll be considered part of the campus. Of course, the big elephant in the room there is that big four-lane third street that's in the way between campus and these athletic facilities. And of course, ISU has, you know, talked of a tunnel underneath third street, or at one point there was proposed that there'd be a footbridge over third street, which I think would be better because it becomes a part of the, you know, marketing of the university itself, not just athletics, but it's a nice front door for everybody who most people who come through Terre Haute are coming up or down 30 or 41. So um, that would be the better option to me. I don't know how much cheaper, or how what logistically, how possible that is. But at any rate, that's the idea. So that would be my preference too. I think that'd be cool. I think it would take time though for that tradition to be built up. But so those are kind of my impressions on the Sycamore Sports Vision, and uh, I'm sure all of you have your own. So I'd love it if I heard back from you. So. Let's move on. Now let's talk about uh, football. And um, ISU has coming off of a 20-10 to 10 victory over uh, Western Illinois, who 
the Leathernecks came into Terre Haute uh, struggling. Uh, they had lost at home to Missouri State in overtime, and you do not want to lose to this particular Missouri State team in overtime or at all because um, the Bears had not won a game um, either to that point in the season. So, uh, And for a while, it looked dire. ISU was down 10 nothing at halftime. They weren't moving the ball. Gunner C, the quarterback, uh, was injured. Curtis Wilderman, uh, for the second time in three games, had entered the game to um, in relief, and nothing looked very good at halftime. However, ISU got their act together. The defense had been playing well all game long, so that's uh, we need to make sure that's pointed out. But uh, the offense got in gear. ISU scored 20 unanswered points, and the rest is history. ISU wins 20 to 10. They improved three and three overall and one and one in the Valley. So um, as I've mentioned many times, ISU's margin for error as far as their real season goal, which was the FCS playoffs, is virtually uh, non-existent. That loss to Dayton's a killer. They're trying to fight their way from underneath it. And, um, you know, they're they're struggling a little bit in some ways that uh, maybe they didn't expect to. And of course, they've had uh, some serious injuries with uh, uh, notably, ISU uh, starting quarterback Ryan Boyle getting hurt early in the um, in the Eastern Illinois game. Obviously, that's that's not good, and um, so there's been some challenges. But um, you know, looking at Saturday's game, uh, I was impressed with Curtis Wilderman, and I like the fact that he was a game manager. And I think I mentioned in in the Down in the Valley blog that um, that's usually used as a pejorative term. Uh, when it comes to football, and I don't really know why. I, I, I know we like to think of quarterbacks as, you know, these strapping, you know, Aaron Rodgers types, Tom Brady types, Peyton Manning types, who are going to go out there and uh, take the bull by the horns and, you know, lead heroic drives and uh, do heroic things, but I'll take a game manager quarterback. I mean, Curtis Wilderman was 10 of 12, only threw for 74 yards, but threw two touchdowns, was only sacked once, uh, rushed for, well, 14 yards. But um, he he didn't do anything, though, that is going to get the team beat. He made smart decisions. The offense moved when he was in the game. Um, the sticks finally moved consistently, which is something that I've been looking for out of ISU's uh, offense. Uh, it helped to have Peterson Curligram back, and I think – Petey, as as they call him amongst the team, has been a has been a revelation this year for the Sycamores. Uh, he showed it in the last game of last season when he had a hundred yard game at, at, at Western Illinois. Um, but I really love his game. I mean, he can run between the tackles. He is effective outside the tackles, and um, you know has a low center of gravity, keeps his legs moving, and uh, having him back there after he was lost from the uh, South Dakota game on uh, the Valley opener. 38 to nothing loss was big. I mean, they were able to get their running game going and the offense looked like a viable uh, unit again. Um, the defense was wonderful from start to finish. Of course, Western's, Western Illinois' offense is not very good, um, so that must be said. But ISU's defense didn't look very good the week before in that, uh, you know, forgettable trip up to uh, Vermilion, South Dakota, the Dakota Dome. So um, it was a good recovery. Um, what was also good is that you are getting more diversity in terms of who's contributing. Now, 
Linebacker Clayton Glasgow, who was the Missouri Valley Defensive Player of the Week, he had 10 tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss. He's been outstanding all year. Um, but they're starting to get some other guys showing what they're worth. Uh, Matt Thompson had a good game on Saturday. He had eight tackles. Michael Thomas, who was a former receiver playing safety, it's shown a few times because Michael's been burned a few times on a couple missed tackles, a couple times where he had the wrong pursuit angle, that kind of thing. But he's a he's a smart player, smart guy, and uh, he had a good game on on Saturday. Eight tackles. He had an interception, which was big at the time, uh, kind of stemmed the tide of a kind of a brief little Western uh, uh, revival that they had in their offense in the third quarter. So that was big. Um, so there's some guys who it's more than just Jonas Griffith, who of course injured his knee uh, late in the third quarter um, on Saturday. Andy Amy covered Kurt Mallory's press conference on Monday. Kurt seemed to be positive that Jonas um, isn't looking at anything long-term, don't know if he's going to play Saturday against South Dakota State, but uh, this doesn't look like it's the Ryan Boyle scenario where you know Jonas might miss the rest of the season, so that's good news. Um, quarterback Gunnar C. also uh, tweaked a, a muscle strain that he's had in that game. Mallory did say in this presser that uh, Gunner probably will not play on Saturday against the Jackrabbits. So that means it'll be Curtis Wilderman, and, and you know what you get with Curtis. As I mentioned, uh, he's going to be steady, and he's probably not going to make very many mistakes, and um, so we'll see how that goes. I did want to mention something about ISU, and you know I think the general feeling I get about them is that they've been a bit of a disappointment. Now, they're 3-3. Three and three. Uh, one and one in the league, as I mentioned, and that's you know I don't know that anybody thought they'd be six and zero oh at this point. Maybe if best everything worked out, perhaps that was possible. Um, but I look at a team a lot of times in terms of, especially at this we're at the halfway point of the season, especially in terms of are there market corrections statistically that jump out where they might be better than they are or worse than they are. So. <laughs> befitting a 3-3 three and three team, ISU has a little bit of evidence in both columns. Um, to reinforce the fact that some fans think that they've struggled, um, we'll point this out. And we're looking at the Valley um, statistics here when I use these rankings. I, I prefer later in the season to use the conference-only rankings, but we've only had two conference games. So these are the overall rankings based on non-conference and conference games. So uh, in terms of things that they haven't done well. They're last in scoring offense. Obviously, um, that's far below what people would have expected. But on the other hand, they've played without their starting quarterback for basically three games. So there's that. ISU is seventh in the Valley in run defense, which is a little bit of a surprise because their front seven has appeared to be stout in many games, but they are. They're seventh in run defense. That South Dakota game where Austin Simmons ran wild is a big part of that, of course. ISU is ninth in passing. Uh, again, you could probably attribute that to losing Ryan Boyle, um, but also uh, not having Dakota Caton. And also, ISU's pass game got more diverse this past weekend. I was glad to see that. They were through to wider areas of the field, and they weren't necessarily doing that in the, in the uh, first uh, five games of the year. So that's part of that. The biggest thing for me that's a concern is their red zone offense. ISU is ninth in the Valley. Technically, they're 16 of 22 
um, when they get in the red zone. But that's misleading because that counts field goals. When it comes to touchdowns, ISU is only 9 of 22, and that is the difference uh, probably between winning the Dayton game, um, perhaps I'd have to look back at the play-by-play winning the Kansas game, and you know, when you don't get touchdowns in the red zone, I mean, I, you know, I'm no football expert to state this, but that, that's going to kill you. And uh, it's hurt ISU this year. What also surprises me is ISU's red zone defense is also ninth in the league as teams have scored 13 of the 14 times they've been in the red zone. So, you know, you got to get the job done inside the 20s and for both offense and defense, and that has held ISU back this year. There's no question about it. Um, now, but also, when in following this market correction theme that I have going here, um, there are some things that would suggest ISU is due for a little bit of a revival. Uh, for example, ISU is fourth overall in total defense. ISU is fourth overall in gaining first downs, which that one surprised me because it doesn't feel all the time like ISU is moving the sticks consistently, but they're fourth. They're fourth in the league. They are third and third down conversions at 42.5%, which is a tribute probably to the fact that they, you know, have a relatively consistent running game with Curly Grand, Titus McCoy, um, Chris Childers when he's put in the game, and Nick Sims when, when, when he's played. So that's a good thing. They're fourth in opponent third downs at 30.4%. Uh, and... Uh, Biggest of all, and it's certainly been big in the two Valley games, although it didn't matter up at South Dakota, um, they're first in penalties, as in first in least amount of penalties. So those are some things that would suggest that ISU, you know, can pull out a couple close games if they get in a position. Of course, you balance that off against the things that they aren't doing, and maybe it suggests they don't. But uh, so there's a little bit of evidence that goes both ways that, you know, would probably be typical for a 3-3 three and three team. Here's one neutral thing that's um, probably held ISU back a little bit this year, if I'm being honest about it, and it's something they were really good at last year, and that's turnover differential. Right now, ISU is at minus one, which is not horrible or anything like that. But if you recall, ISU was, uh, I believe, the best uh, turnover differential team in FCS last year. And any time you can, I, I mean, I don't have to, uh, again, uh, I'm not uh, Bill Belichick to st- state this, but you get turnovers and you're going to win some games. So um, ISU has been a little bit better at uh, turnover differential lately. Um, but that opportunistic part of what they did last year has not been in evidence yet. So maybe it'll come. You know, sometimes turnovers are as much luck as anything else. And so we'll see. So, um, but football, you know, let's you know, as far as this week's game is concerned, as far as South Dakota State is concerned, well, it's going to be a whole different challenge. I mean, as much of a relief as that win was over the Leathernecks on Saturday, if we're being really honest about it, that effort is probably going to get you beat against any team other than maybe Missouri State. And certainly they are stepping way up in class when it comes up to when it comes to the Jackrabbits. Um, right now, South Dakota State is third in scoring offense at 34.3 points per game. That is almost double what ISU scores a game. 
The thing that people don't pay much attention to is that the Jacks are second in scoring defense as well. They only allow 14.3 points per game. So obviously ISU is going to have to be far more on point on both sides of the ball um, than they were against, or at least more consistent than they were against the Leathernecks. Um, as far as individual talent, uh, Pierre Strong, uh, South Dakota State sophomore running back, is currently second in the Valley at 102 yards a game. He's averaged 8.3 yards per carry, which is the most among anybody in the top 10. So uh, obviously he's going to be a handful. Um, South Dakota State's new quarterback, new freshman quarterback, Jabora Gibbs, uh, is fourth in the league in passing average at 100, or I'm sorry, 218 yards per, per no, 178 yards per game, uh, seven touchdowns, three interceptions, and he is fifth in pass efficiency. Uh, and then South Dakota State has a big target in Cade Johnson, who has 24 catches for 466 yards and five touchdowns. So the Jacks are going to be a problem. They're, they're ranked third in the country for a reason. Um, they are going to be the biggest test ISU has faced this year, including Kansas. And uh, so we'll see. I, You look at it purely on paper, it reminds me of the South Dakota game, not a great matchup for ISU. Although I will say this, I think ISU's pass defense has been much better than I anticipated. They're actually first in the Valley right now in pass defense, and uh, I think some of the coverage has been pretty good. I don't think the tackling has always been good, but the coverage hasn't been has been better than I anticipated. So, but you know, the Jacks are better than the Coyotes, and the Coyotes took the Sycamores apart. So, you know, this is going to be a huge challenge for the Sycamores, and you know, they're obviously not completely healthy. So we'll see what happens on Saturday, the fifth of seven home games this year. It's been, I uh, feel like I should be paying rent over in the press box, but it's, uh, uh, you know, we're actually starting to run out of home games. So, so that's kind of a brief look at football. Um, I did want to talk about basketball very briefly. I've been to a few practices for both the men and the women. I was at the women's open practice uh, yesterday, I guess it's, it's yesterday now. Um, and watch that. Um, and I'll talk about that for a second. I, you know, I'll be honest, you, you know, Vicki Hall completely turned over the roster. Um, I don't know that I've seen a team ever at Indiana State that turned everybody over on the roster. So I was watching the practice, but I was also trying to memorize all the players. I would see somebody um, uh, say number two's uh, Summer Pitzer, and I'd just start repeating her name so I can remember who everybody was. I mean, I, I, you know, it's we're still learning a lot about this uh, women's basketball team, but I thought it was a fascinating practice. Now, they did have six players out, which, so, you know, they were shorthanded, but um, they do have several different players who can handle the ball. Uh, they have, they will have, when healthy, uh, three post players, so it'll be interesting to see how... Um, Vicky uh, integrates them into the system. They had two post players on the floor at the same time on uh, uh, yesterday, and I think part of that was a product of just not having a lot of bodies, but it was an interesting look and uh, not one that you see too often uh, in college basketball. So, um, But I'm fascinated to see how this all pans out. You know, with a completely new roster, you know, it's probably going to be a struggle in year one, but... Um, the kind of alchemist in me just wants to see 
how Vicky pulls all these new pieces together and makes it work. So it'll be fascinating to watch. Although, you know, I'll say this, I, I told Vicky today too, you know, when everybody's starting at, at, uh, at the same point, you don't have any seniors who, you know, might feel entitled or anything like that. Uh, there's certain advantages to that. I mean, everybody's on the same page at the same time, and you don't you rarely get that in, uh, on any team. So, uh, of course, the challenge of it is that you have to get everybody on the same page. So, it'll be fascinating to watch the women this year, and uh, you know, hopefully, I'll I'll get out to see them a few times. As far as the men are concerned, I've been to a few practices, and um, kind of my attitude on. On the men this year, you know, it's funny. I, I run into a lot of people, talk to a lot of people um, that, that that go to practices that are ingrained in the team, are into it. And every year, it without fail, and every fan base does this. This isn't just ISU. Um, you get this amnesia about everything that you forgot about that didn't work out the year before. And as you get further away from it, you get hopeful, you know, as, as you do for most sports. And you tend to forget about the things that did go wrong or the things that the team needs to work on and things like that. So I've had a lot of people coming up and telling me, well, gosh, doesn't so-and-so look really good? Um, don't they have more um, people who can do this and that? And none of that is false. There, there, there are some, it'll be interesting. I mean, ISU is going to be able to throw bigger bodies out on the floor, notably Chris Agbo, who's a really big body. Um, so they'll have a few more options in the paint. They're going to have a bevy of options out on the perimeter, um, both with experienced players and some players who are coming into the system. Um, but we've gone through this before in other um, off-seasons where you look at the talent. I've been, you know... I've been a victim of this myself a few times where you you see the talent, but you don't see that talent against, you know, in true competition. You don't see them being scouted by opposing coaches. Um, you don't see this talent getting tested defensively in the way that uh, they're going to probably get tested when the real bullets start flying. And you don't generally look at defense um, when you watch an a, a off-season practice, you're looking at skill sets. You're looking at their game, uh, you know, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, you know, practices can replicate a lot of things, but they don't replicate games. They never do. And so I guess what I'm getting at is I am going to remain skeptical until I see this team actually do what they say they can do. And... I will remain skeptical through the non-conference season. There's going to be some losses in the non-conference season. It's especially at the beginning of the schedule. It's going to be tough. I hope ISU fans don't start bailing if you know they fall at Dayton and they fall at Louisville, which are their first two games. Those are tough games. Those will be tough games for any team. So I'm going to remain skeptical, but maybe skeptical is too strong a word. I want to remain skeptical but open-minded about what this team is capable of because I think they're capable of contending for the league title. I thought they were capable of it last year. They're also capable, if things don't go right, of falling deep into the Thursday game um, at the Valley Tournament. So I'm from Missouri when it comes to this. I'm not really from Missouri. I want you to show me Sycamores. Um, and I want you to continue to show me through the course of the season. And I think most fans probably in their heart of hearts feel that way. 
Um, they don't want to get burned by, you know, raising their own expectations and then having them fall short uh, when it really starts mattering in January and February. So I think the talent is all there. These are, the, as Greg Lansing says all the time, they're, they're, they're good kids. You know, they're great guys. Um, but they have a lot to prove this year. And obviously there's a lot at stake um, in terms of whether they win or lose. So those are kind of my general thoughts on men's basketball. Of course, as we get closer to the season, I'll get more detailed on that. Anyway, that's all I've got this week. Uh, this is Down in the Valley, part one, episode one, the inaugural episode, the first episode, whatever you want to call it. Hopefully you liked it. Um, I encourage you to uh, give me feedback. Uh, you can send me an email. My email is todd.golden at tribstar.com, golden at tribstar.com. You can always hit me on Twitter, at tribstartodd. Um, and I would love it if you read Down in the Valley regularly. It is usually posted to the tribstar.com website, usually about, for football, uh, generally between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, once basketball gets started, it's usually sometime in the morning after a game. I'm going to try to keep that up. I actually considered having this podcast replace the uh, blog, but uh, I'm not ready to give that up yet. So, um, But I always encourage your feedback. Uh, I encourage uh, you to read our coverage in the Tribune Star, and I appreciate all of the, all of you who do. So hopefully this wasn't a disaster. Hopefully we can continue to do this on a weekly basis. And uh I'll get better at it, I promise, and, uh, uh, you know, I'll try to cut out. I, I, somebody should probably count the ums that I had in this. There's probably well over 100, so I'm just glad I didn't swear, but we'll see. Maybe that'll happen at some point, too. So anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, uh, have a great week.